It's now time for 30-something and over it. It's the home of soul searching, owning mistakes and challenges, and changing the course of direction. 30-something and over it, where you're old enough to know better and young enough to still change the game. Now, here's your host, Samantha Dennison. Rant of the week. Thank you for our listener for sending this in. The rant is, sick of being broke when I should be enjoying my life. Oh my goodness, do I understand your pain. See, I've spent the 30 years of my life being broke. Sure, I've had some money, but the problem was I spent it all. So I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes it feels like money comes in and it leaves the same day. This is how I went from a single mum that owned her own home and had no debts to fast forward a few years with a single mum, two kids, living with housemates and had a crap load of debt. To now, I own three businesses. I'm comfortable on a budget, still renting, but I'm out of debt again. And there's a few things that I've learned over the last three decades on this topic. And now I'm part of the business world. I feel like I can really resonate with it. And I'm really looking forward to talking about it because there is nothing worse than feeling broke. There's no worse feeling than having to look at your bank account when you go to pay for groceries, when you get invited to go out with your mates and you feel constricted to what you can and can't do. It's a horrible feeling. Throw in parenthood if you've got children. You tend to put yourself last and you feel like you can't say no to them. And then they have sports and school and all these things and it all adds up and you find yourself in a swirl of overwhelm and man, do we get sick of that feeling. I'm going to talk to you about the changes and I'm going to get really real, raw and honest with you. I recommend getting your pen and paper because we're going to deep dive into Stuff being broke, let's actually change our life and do something with it. So, where to start? The first thing I do now, and this might not relate to a lot of you just yet, but I have a finance manager. I have my own personal finance manager. Now, if you told me that I would have one of these even 10 years ago, I would have laughed in your face. It's because I was way too self-absorbed. I was so absorbed and so infatuated with the idea that I had no money and had this victim lifestyle, I could not see the bigger picture. Let's get real. We need to cut the crap of what we're telling ourselves because there's no excuse why you can't do this as well. So back then, 10 years ago, Sam at 27 had no excuse why she couldn't have had a finance manager except for the fact that she felt, and I'm talking about myself in a third person right now, She felt like, why would I even consider that? Because I can't afford it anyway. I'm a single mom. I'm working three jobs. That's not even going to enter my head. I didn't even know it existed. Well, let's get real and take the blinkers off. Because I've gone from having it all to then having to eat fried rice for a week at a time with the kids because that's all that I could afford to be able to stay afloat. I had this thing of pride. And I don't know if you can resonate with me here, but I had this thing of I'm not going to accept help from anybody and I am going to do this on my own. And some people might say, well, that's quite inspirational. I would say that's also quite stupid because why would you learn from yourself 
how to not be broke when you are broke. So what I had to do was I had to pick up some habits from other people. And now this is what I'm going to be talking about is if you're sick of being broke, what are the habits that you can implement that are going to work in your life? Because let's face it, we're well over 30 by now, most of us, and this shouldn't be a problem, but it is. And it's time we start enjoying ourselves, yes, but that doesn't mean we have to live beyond our means. And having nothing to show for it by the end of it, it's pretty embarrassing when you actually look at your bank account and say, I'm almost 40 or I'm over 40 and I do not have savings. I am not in my own home, but I have a really great handbag and I've been on some awesome holidays. And if you have a look at my wardrobe, I've got some pretty good brands in there. Or we look at it and go, and I know some people in these shoes, some males and females, I'm now 50 and I've lived my life. I've lived a pretty great life. I go out and I socialize once a week and I have coffees and I meet my friends and then I go out for drinks, but I have nothing to show for it. Well, I think it's about time that we start getting real with ourselves and go, yeah, we can rant that we're sick of being broke and we want to enjoy our life. But at what point are we living beyond our means? When did it happen? And this is going to be polarizing, but when did it happen that we couldn't live just a humble life and be okay with that, that we all of a sudden got materialistic and the need was for more and more and more? Let's go through four steps I've written down that I want to share with you to be able to challenge that mentality. This episode was sponsored by the Second Chance Academy. The Second Chance was born to help others have a second chance of upskilling and developing confidence to start their own dream. Type in 30-something and over it to receive 10% of all courses. First one is you need to look at the big picture. My finance lady is going to crack up when she listens to this because it's something I still argue with her about once a week. And when we're looking at the big picture, I want you to think of this like a muscle that you need to train all the time to grow it. So you actually need to take the blinkers off and start looking at this big picture. And that big picture is going to become more and more obvious and more and more clear the more times you look at it. If you refuse to look at it, It's basically like having your head in the sand. So to manage money well, you must make good decisions. Making good decisions is not easy. It's like if we go back to our younger selves, the whole peer pressure thing. We go to a bar, come on, have a drink, have a drink. No, I'm not drinking tonight. And what happens? You end up drinking. For some reason, now over 30, we've been able to rationalize our poor decisions much the same. We peer pressure ourselves into it. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that this week. No, I'm not going to stuff it. I've got nothing to wear. I'm just going to go and buy that. Come on, admit it. We do it. So it's about exercising the muscle to make the good decisions. So to do that and to be able to see the picture clearly, you really need to have a look and have accurate data. And it's really hard to do that if you're in debt and your debt, your savings and your investments are kind of all over the place. So if you're much like me, I have about six different bank accounts and everything is everywhere and that's okay. But what you need to do is go, okay, how do I collect all that data and put it in one spot for me? I have Tam, she's amazing and we chuck it all on a spreadsheet 
And then we look at our income versus expenses. Now, this isn't a budget. This is a big picture. So when we look at it, it's quite scary and it's quite daunting to see what we're spending money on. When we first done this, we actually went through our bank accounts and we started scrolling through everyday expenses and we started writing down coffee, 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 coffee. And then we totaled that up over six months. And between us, Adam and I managed to spend $2,000 on takeaway coffee. This is when he'd first moved in with us. Can I say this blew me away? I could not believe that we managed to spend $2,000 on coffee. If you break that down, $76 a week. Divide it by two, it's not that much really. It's a coffee a day, but that $2,000 over the six months probably wasn't a good decision being that we had bigger goals. It probably wasn't wise, but we got into the habit of not going without that. And it wasn't even a decision anymore. It was an automatic beep it on pay pass. Another thing that was really alarming to me as a parent, I found myself overcompensating and I didn't even realize I'd done this. So I was the first one to go, I never spend money on myself, but I never have money. I don't know if you can relate to this one. But that's how I felt. No, I'm really good with money. I never spend money on myself. I'm good with it. I've got a budget. I had a budget, but did I stick to it? Not really. Because I had an excuse for my spending. Let me break this down further. I felt it was okay to buy the last minute unexpected things for the children. And when I looked at it and I was actually looking through this bank statement, I was so surprised to be able to see Kmart one day, reject shop the next, oh, coffee club, hot chocolates there. And what I saw was that every other day I was buying them little things because all of a sudden they needed a notepad or they'd lost a pen or they needed more socks for school or they felt like an ice cream or I wasn't organized and they were hungry while we were driving somewhere. I didn't look at this as it wasn't part of my expense budget. I looked at this as, well, I need it. Now, By me looking at the big picture and actually getting used to exercising that muscle to look at it every single week, I got clearer and clearer and clearer on the good decisions I was making and the not so good decisions I was making, which helped me into my next step, which is what I want to share with you being step two, the desired outcome. I have this mentor and God bless him, he's an amazing guy, Hank. And when I first met Hank, Adam and I met Hank, it was a little daunting having a mentor. You know, we'd met him before and he'd come over and Hank says, okay, what's the assignment on your life? What's your five-year plan? Adam and I looked at each other and we felt pretty prepared and we go, yep, we want to own our own home. He goes, okay, yep. And he had his pen and paper out and he wrote that down and he goes, okay, what else? And oh, that's kind of it. He goes, okay. We're going to book an appointment next week. And between now and next week, I want you to actually think and work backwards. So I want you to start with the five-year goal and I want you to write down individually what you both want as an individual and then what you both want as couples. Every single thing that you might want over the next five years. And then I want you to break that down into a five-year, three-year and 12-month plan. So that really got us thinking and literally we got the whiteboard out and we started writing things out and brain dumping and getting really, really excited about all these ideas and opportunities that we were too scared to dream because we didn't have the desired outcome. We didn't have the idea of where we were heading, which made it not so clear why we were having to save. 
Whereas when we break it down into a five-year goal, three-year, 12-month, and then we break it down even further to a three-month, so a quarterly, and then monthly, we actually knew we were getting somewhere. Now, each month, we don't always hit our goals, but it's a really good feeling to know you're one step closer to that five-year goal. And practicing that and repeating that same thing over and over and over again and looking at that really helps you get over it. Adam likes to have a beer on a Friday night and I like to have a kombucha. Sometimes I'll have a drink and we'll actually go over these goals and we'll have a chat about them and how the week's been and how we think we're tracking. And this might sound all like, oh, that's all big picture stuff, but it can be just something small that you can actually celebrate and go, wow, I achieved that. And then it makes those poor decisions really easy not to make. So step three dives deep into being budget smart. Now, I really don't like the word budget. I don't know if it's just me or if you can relate to this. I feel like it has a real negative spin on it that you have to be tight with money. My father, God bless him, I love him, is Dutch and I've always called him a bit tight and my family can be a little tight on the Dutch side but they have hearts of gold. And I guess dad always used to speak about budgets, which made me repel the idea of budgets. So I've put together the words budget smart instead of just budget, because I want you to understand being budget smart means that you don't deprive yourself. And one thing dad did put in my hands that was great tool was the Barefoot Investor book. I don't get any credits or anything for this, but I'm going to plug it anyway, because I think it's a really good place to start. And Scott Pape, he talks about spending and putting your spending in certain buckets. And I'm going to take that example and share with you what we've started doing and how it could possibly work for you. And let's just work it on $1,000. So it's a round number. First one out of your $1,000 income. So say you make an income out of that 10% of it. So $100 goes on you. You can just go and spend that on whatever you like without feeling guilty. Now, if you're like me and you are overcompensating for your children, that might be coming out of that $100. And you'll actually get quite protective with it because you'll be like, nah, well, you can have that and you can have that, but the rest is for me because I still want to go to the gym and I want to do this and that and that. So really getting clear on the splurge money or I'm going out tonight. The other 10%, so you're going to get another $100 and you're going to put that money away for a rainy day. What's that mean? Well, a lot of us have experienced a lot of tough times at the moment being in self-isolation and with the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's something that no one saw coming. And I don't know about you, but it really affected us. See, we were in Samoa at the time on our honeymoon and we were having a great time. We had no TV and no news and didn't really know much about what was going on in the world and we were in bliss. And we came home to quite a big surprise. Not so pleasant. We were in 14 days isolation and one of our businesses is a hair salon. We were told that that would be closing down, possibly. So that was a shock. Then the other thing, we have a marketing agency. All of a sudden, overnight, literally the next day, $84,000 in contracts stopped. So you could say it wasn't a pleasant coming home. It was not what we expected. If you didn't have that rainy day money put aside, that's a pretty scary time. We didn't. We had a little bit there, but if we'd been putting that 10% away for a longer time period, it would have made life easier. 
Now, being me, I don't put all my eggs in one basket. We're going to speak about that in step four. I had ways to overcome that. Yet having that persistent putting away would really make life a lot easier. So I'm really encouraging to do that. And like I'm saying, I'm no financial expert. These are tips I've learned over the last three decades of things to do and not to do. And I'd love to know your thoughts on them all as well. So the other one is to put away another $100, so another 10% of your earnings to a long-term wealth plan, be it your super, be it an investment, be it property, something like that for a long-term, put it in a long high interest saving account, lock it up, don't touch it. It's a really important thing to look at is not touching because if you can actually sneak into it, there'll be weeks that you go, oh, it's a bit tight this week, it's in the red, I might just dive into that. You need to be really disciplined and not do that. The last one is having 60% of all of it being your expenses. So in there would fall your mortgage repayments, your rent, your school fees, any memberships you might have, groceries, fuel, your appliances, your bills, your utilities, all of that would fall under expenses. And then you'll notice that we've still got a little bit left over that 10%. This can be a buffer account or what you could be doing is looking at donating. And this is something, again, that I've really had to train and get used to is getting used to giving away. See, the more you hold on to something, the more you're training yourself of lack. You're training yourself of, I've got to hold on to this. I've got to hold on to this. Whereas when you give something away, and it has to be to a charity that you believe in, one, you feel good. It always feels better to give than receive, I find. But two, you'll find often it comes back tenfold. So the more you're training yourself to get out of the I have no money mindset, you're literally doing it yourself. Don't set it up as a direct debit. You're starting to get really comfortable with where you're at. Which brings me to our last step for this podcast, which is step four. And what I want to talk about in step four is never putting your eggs all in one basket, which I sort of discussed in the last one. But I want to unpack that further. And it's really about other sources of income. See, I told you a little bit about our honeymoon experience and coming home to that, and that was quite shocking. But what I did have is other sources of income. One, I had work ethic, but two, I knew how to bring in other income. Friends often say I know how to sprinkle glitter on shit and make it shine, which is true. So you know how to have other sources of income, but this isn't something that comes naturally. It's something that you need to learn. It's another learned behavior of never relying on one thing. If you've got 90% of your income coming from the one place, you're in trouble. Because what if you lose your job tomorrow? Let me give you an example. When I was 29, I fell pregnant with my second child and it was a surprise pregnancy. It was not planned. Much love surprise, but a surprise. At the time, I was working for myself. I had my own business, my own salon at the time, and I had no other source of income. I struggled with bad morning sickness. My daughter was actually quite sick as well. The one that I was pregnant with at the time, my placenta wasn't working, which meant she was getting no food. This was expensive. It meant a lot of scans and I was in hospital a lot. I didn't have a backup plan and it made me have to rely on other people. That does a couple of things to you. One, it affects your self-esteem and self-worth and your ego and your pride really takes a big hit and that's something I'm still having to learn. Asking for help is not fun. 
And I'm not saying you should never ask for help because there are times that you may need to. However, that lesson was a time that I made a vow to myself that I would never, ever put myself in this position again. Ten years later, and I haven't. I've been in worse positions than then, but I've always had other sources of income. Everybody has different skill sets. Everybody has things that they enjoy and that they're good at and that you can monetize. It's getting creative and it's actually learning and seeking what you can do with that. I have income across five different avenues at the moment and I feel it's really important to have the flow coming in and continually grow this, but it needs to start somewhere. I want to use a friend for an example who I've recently been talking to. She loves doing art and her art is really amazing. It's not just paintings, it's kind of 3D-like, it's beautiful stuff. And it's unusual. She does this as a hobby, but she could easily create this into several forms of income. She could monetize this. Let me explain further. First one that would come to mind would be she could put this on a Etsy store and she could start selling it herself. The second one she could do is she could find local crafty stores and on sell it to them. The third one she could do, she could create an online store. And on the online store, it could be more like online workshops and she could create little online courses that you could do at home that it would be, you know, $29 a month sort of membership and once a month she'll teach you a new way of doing a new painting. That would be pretty cool. The fourth one she could do would be kids workshops. And again, it could be an online series. It could be a virtual experience. So there, out of one thing that she enjoys to do, she could monetize that four different ways and still have a job. So again, she's not keeping all her eggs in one basket. That is my four tips for today on that rant that was fantastic on if you're sick of being broke and I should be enjoying my life, my answer back to you is, okay, take your thumb out of your butt and do something about it. You've now got four tips. It's time to take some action. If you have a rant of the week, please submit it on our site, 30 Something and Over It. Join our Facebook group, 30 Something and Over It. It's a group of support and sharing and caring. It's judgment free. We would love to hear your rant. Friends, I will catch you next week. Thanks for listening to 30 Something and Over It with Samantha Dennison. Remember, keep chasing those dreams. Check out 30 Something and Over It on Facebook, Instagram and online. And remember to subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts.